Hello and welcome to Medico Legal Expert Insight. My name is Jessica and in this podcast, we interview medical and legal professionals to help connect and understand when, what, why and how both sides interpret the information given to them. The goal is to share expert opinions from both sides of the medico-legal industry. I do want to say a huge thank you to eReports for the support and access to all these incredible experts. So let's get started and connect the dots through conversation. Today, I would like to welcome Dr. Jennifer Downs-Bryden, General Practitioner. Dr. Downs-Bryden and I will be discussing what roles might a GP play in medico-legal reports. Dr. Downs-Bryden graduated from Monash University in 1985. She commenced her general practice career in 1988 on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. During her early years, she also worked in emergency departments in South East Victoria as the GP liaison officer at Monash Medical Centre, provided cultural integration training at Frankston Hospital for HMOs and worked with divisions of general practice in liaison roles. She returned to Monash University as an autonomy demonstrator and clinical and communications tutor. She commenced a multidisciplinary general practice in Frankston in 2004. Then it was accredited as a teaching practice for medical students from Monash and Melbourne universities and was also accredited as a training location for GP registrars undertaking fellowship training for over 15 years. Under her leadership, this practice provided coordinated management of work injuries, pre-employment assessments and immunisation programs to local businesses and councils. It also developed innovative programs in aged care, secondary schools and Indigenous health services and was awarded for research and teaching achievements. Whilst working in a hands-on capacity within the practice for nearly 20 years, Dr. Downs-Bryden simultaneously provided services as a presiding member for medical panels. The coordination and communication skills and expertise required as a specialist GP were ideal within this role. A key focus of her practice and skills has been in effective and appropriate multidisciplinary communication and coordination of input in the management of patients with more than one provider presenting with more complex conditions. Dr. Downs-Bryden, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jess. Uh, very nice to be here and thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure having you on today. Um, so how and when did you get involved in medico legal work? Well, um, I think in the introduction you mentioned that um, I started the general practice, uh, my own general practice in for about 2004 and um, a lot of things happened that year. I was a little bit uncertain about um, how the practice would go and an opportunity arose when a colleague who I'd worked with at Monash University um, suggested that um, I might like to be involved in medical panels in Victoria 
Um, he was aware of my background and interest in musculoskeletal medicine. Mm-hmm. And as there were many um, musculoskeletal injuries being assessed with medical panels through work-related injuries, um, he thought that might be something that would interest me. And um, at that time as well, um, there was a, a quite a recruitment of females going on um, in the field because it had been a little bit male-dominated prior to that. So it was my pleasure to um, to go along and see what that was all about. Yeah, so that wow. was way back in 2004, joining uh, Victorian Medical Panel. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite a long time. It has been a long time, and lots of experience, and many, many wonderful mentors along the way as well. Yes. Wonderful. So can you talk us through the role that a GP may play in a multidisciplinary tribunal? Yes, I I think that um, GPs um, are very well placed to contribute to a multidisciplinary panel. Mm -hmm. Uh, My role is as a presiding member, and that means um, that I actually sort of coordinate the panel to a certain extent. and um, and liaise with lawyers, but really I'm the glue that sticks the various um, specialties together uh, within the panel. And so, you know, we always say about GPs that we know a lot about, uh, uh, not much, sorry, about a whole lot of things. And um, <laughs> so that can be quite useful in this role because we, we need the specialist input in many uh, circumstances, but we can then... Um, tease it all out and join all of those individual um, uh, opinions together, including um, the psychological as well as the, the physical aspects of presentation. I mean, that, that's bread and butter for general practitioners is a, sort of a biopsychosocial approach to, to assessment generally. Uh, and not to say other specialists don't do that as well, but I think GPs um, have to be able to um, assess uh, all situations in a biopsychosocial approach. So I think we're, we're well-skilled and well-placed to be able to um, fulfil that role on a tribunal, yeah, on a panel. Mm. So your role really is, and I, I did mention this when I was introducing you, the coordination and the communication between all the other parties involved. Would that be right? Yes, that's definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the specialists, including psychiatrists, as well as lawyers who oversee the cases. And uh, also as a presiding member, I do, I guess, the, the majority of the interviewing of the patient uh, or the, the worker or the claimant, uh, whatever sort of case uh, is being presented. Mm-hmm. So I do the majority of that. Um, perhaps a little less of the examination, which tends to be undertaken by, by specialists, um, say orthopedic surgeons or rheumatologists or obviously psychiatrists. But um, so uh, I think GPs, um, again, uh, do a lot of sorting of symptoms and presentations um, and then we refer off to specialists. So again, it's a perfect role for a GP uh, to be able to... Uh, you know, appear on a tribunal and get a lot of that interviewing and um, sorting of background information uh, underway and then calling on specialists to add in their very specific input as well. 
Yeah. Okay. So you've done you've done a quite a or participated in quite a few wrongs act cases as well. Is that right? That's correct. That's um, the the medical panel in Victoria um, covers a, a few different areas. So we cover some work cover stuff, but we also um, participate in assessment of wrongs act cases, um, wrongs act um, relating really to. Uh, personal injury mm-hmm. um, and um, the role of the medical panel in, in assessing wrongs at cases is to determine whether um, a, a significant injury um, has occurred. It, that's one of the first steps in sorting out a wrongs at case before it goes to trial is to establish whether a significant injury has occurred at the time of the alleged injury. So. We assess what the alleged injury is. Uh, we undertake an impairment assessment. We try and assess any impairment that might have been there prior. Um, and um, and then that, that's the extent of the role at that stage, yes. Okay, so this is sort of like what special expertise can a GP provide in such an assessment to do with a wrongs act? Mm, once again, it's about... Um, assessing the nature of the presentation holistically mm-hmm. um, so that uh, whilst um, we are constrained to a fairly specific impairment assessment of the alleged injury, uh, the GP can be really um, useful, I think, in um, looking at what other chronic or um, uh, you know, other medical conditions that might be occurring at the same time might also be contributing to some of that impairment. Um, digging back through past history, combing through uh, previous notes and so forth to find out any history that has been there. Um, and once again, then coordinating the input from all the different aspects and then liaising with the, the legal uh, advisors um, uh, once we've once the, the panel has made a decision, we've got to then make sure that it's legally robust as well. Mm-hmm. And how might your GP method of assessment provide a more holistic assessment for some more complex cases, so in, in, in medico-legal cases? Yeah, well, um, I think once again it comes down to that um, uh, that aspect of GPs where we have such a, a, a I guess, a diverse range of interest, knowledge and skills, um, albeit maybe not the detail that specialists have, but at least uh, with, with all of that background knowledge, we can um, pick up on um, biological and psychological and social and pre-existing history, I think, Uh, as we do every day in general practice, to try and tease out what's relevant and what's not relevant, particularly where pain presentations are concerned because uh, medical practitioners are aware that um, pain pain presentations can be incredibly complex in nature and might not always be physically based. There might be uh, psychological aspects to it as well. And... um, so again, the, the GP sees that on a day-to-day basis and and often 
within general practice, we're sorting and then sending people off to specialists to um, to get a niche opinion on a particular aspect of that pain presentation. Uh, and so in a panel or in, in a um, medico-legal assessment, what we're doing then is we're doing the reverse. We're getting all of those little individual uh, inputs from um, from the specialist and gluing them back together to put the whole patient together and then being able to make some sort of representation about whether the uh, the presentation of the, the claimant or the client or the patient at the time is largely physical, largely psychological um, or a combination thereof. And, and that can then affect aspects of a medico-legal claim including thinking about capacity for work, thinking about uh, whether the current presentation is still related to any alleged injury or incident or whether something else has evolved as a result um, or uh, as a result of the incident and the litigation or whether um, some other unrelated um, condition has impacted their presentation at the time of a seemingly minor injury. So you're really familiar with reading different reports from different specialists and then piecing it all together. Would that be right? That is absolutely right, Jess, and that's um, a very important part of um, being prepared for a medico-legal um, assessment of a patient as well is to um, have thoroughly researched the information that's been presented and provided for you prior so that um, you've got a good sense of, of background, you've got a good sense of what other um, specialists or practitioners have have considered and found along the way. Uh, that then gives you a good guide to what particular areas need to be closely addressed uh, in any report. Um, uh, it's just vital to look at previous submissions so that um, when you finally do create a, a report or an outcome, anything that's been controversial or anything that uh, where you've uh, um, established a different outcome or finding to that that's been um, suggested previously can be adequately and robustly addressed, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about for medical negligence cases? Would it be appropriate for a lawyer to call upon a GP skill set for consideration of these cases? Yes, in very much so in particular circumstances. And this is quite different work to the, the tribunal work that mm. I do. This is um, something else that I picked up along the way again uh, through a colleague um, suggesting to me that uh, it might be an area I'd be very interested in. Um, and um, so there's, uh, you know, we see a lot of medical negligence uh, cases, probably more so than ever these days, and who knows what will happen after COVID and yeah. tele telehealth and goodness knows what. It's, it's a, a bit of an unknown future, I think, in that respect. But um, so medical negligence uh, work that I've been involved in, um, there's a few different areas. One is... Um, uh, that I will be referred a, a, a case and I'm asked for an independent um, opinion on the assessment of the standard of care of, of a GP uh, mm -hmm. because 
uh, a claimant has alleged that a GP hasn't provided an appropriate standard of care. So um, that kind of case um, effectively um, uh, requires me to explore evidence presented in the medical records that I'm given about what's been documented uh, by the medical practitioner, as well as to look at the statement by the by the uh, claimant, um, mm -hmm. and then then to look at um, evidence based guidelines related to the kind of uh, treatment or case that's been presented, and then to uh, combine all of that together and um, create a an opinion uh, which is evidence based on whether. Uh, the um, the GP in question has um, provided uh, care to the standard um, commensurate with uh, their peer professionals. And I guess I've been in a, um, a a good position to be able to comment on many aspects of that, not just my clinical work, but because of running a practice and um, being aware of um, you know uh, process and policy and uh, accreditation standards uh, and so forth also within a practice as well as the clinical aspects then I guess that puts me in a bit of a you know a unique position to be able to comment on that sort of situation yeah yeah definitely so if and sorry keep going I was going to say another area of medical negligence I've worked in is uh, where um, perhaps a, a hospital or a health service um, will seek the opinion of a general practitioner um, if, if a claimant is uh, claiming negligence uh, at the hands of a, a health service or a, a hospital. Uh, sometimes the hospital will then um, ask for an opinion from a GP regarding any GP aspects of care that might have been provided through the course of the alleged injury. Um, interesting. And, uh, yeah, it is interesting. And... Um, um, and that can that's very complex, but really super interesting stuff as well. And once again, I suppose my background in in hospital work as well, um, I guess, puts me in a reasonable position uh, to be able to make some kind of comment about um, you know primary care versus acute care interaction and um, uh, continuity of care and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, so, uh, it's really fascinating. Uh, sort of feel that one, yes. Yeah, definitely. So if, if a legal firm was to brief you for a case, what mm. tips would you give the lawyer in terms of the information they provide you? Mm. So um, in, in all cases, be it tribunal work, wrongs act, uh, work cover, impairment assessment, all medical negligence, the... Um, the quality of the information provided is, um, you know, absolutely vital to being able to provide a, a robust and and sturdy report. Um, so, uh, I I think it's great to get a background summary of events uh, from mm -hmm. from the lawyer, um, and obviously that might be um, client based. Um, and um, with some opinion or um, you know some sort of client bias uh, involved, but then also uh, it's incredibly important to get the relevant um, medical progress notes related 
to any incident that might have occurred, so be they uh, a combination of GP progress notes, um, specialist notes, hospital notes. Um, and whilst that can be sometimes thousands and thousands of pages, it, it really is vital to go through all of that uh, with a fine-tooth comb. There can be some gems in there <laughs> to mm. be looked at. Um, um, and then sometimes uh, when I read a case, I'll think, gosh, I think there's something in the background there. I think we need some more history from previously. I'm concerned that there might be something that occurred previously that might have contributed to some of this along the way. So sometimes it's great to have a look at that initial information and then um, be able to get, get back to the lawyer and say, hey, could you find anything from five years ago that might be relevant because the client said they had such and such done back then. So, um, the, you know, it's great to have um, uh, uh, responsiveness from the lawyers in that respect. It's also vital to be provided with um, opinions and reports that have been um, created or provided on the case by other practitioners, um, be they other GPs or other specialists, um, so that, again, any con controversial issues can be um, considered and thought about before you either undertake the assessment of the claimant or um, continue to um, write the opinion. Um, and obviously any submissions from lawyers or uh, participants in the case um, need to be addressed as well. So it's, it's provision of, of information, I think, is uh, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And to have that provision of information, well, it, 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 some of the uh, opinions I uh, undertake are purely written and I don't see a claimant, but if I am seeing a claimant or a, a patient or a worker, um, to have that information prior to seeing them. Then if there's anything I'm uncertain about, I can ask that patient or worker specifically about their spin on uh, what happened at that time and that uh, then makes for a much more robust report and also helps to uh, establish credibility of the witness too. Mm. So you will actually go through all the documentation and read through it. You'll go back to the lawyer if you feel like there's a missing piece of the puzzle can you yes. can you give do you have any examples that you could share of say say you've been asked to be briefed on a certain case and you've gone through all the documentation and you're sort of putting the story and the puzzle together and then you've realized that you do need some more information based on what you've read through has they has there been examples of that yes um I, i'm thinking of of uh of recently actually um a uh, that was a wrongs act um, case and uh, where there was, I won't go into too much detail obviously to keep it de-identified, but mm -hmm. there was a, a claim against the health service uh, who provided some, um, some surgical treatment for a particular condition and um, we had to establish, uh, and it went a bit wrong and um, so the claim was for uh, permanent impairment to a particular part of the body Mm -hmm. um, but what needed to be established was uh, if this person was having surgery in the first place, then what was the degree of impairment of the part prior to the surgery? Surely there must have been some there prior. Yeah. Um, so it took a considerable amount of um, going back through records which weren't presented at the time that we actually saw the claimant, uh, but it became apparent 
to me when I saw the claimant that in fact um, there'd been impairment for many years um, and actually really well documented when we when we really asked the questions. Um, and so um, ultimately we requested a whole lot more information and were able to establish that there was significant impairment uh, even over and above um, what uh, what the presentation seemed to be um, and it had been well documented it's been long pre-existing and so in fact the, the claimant had ended up better off than what they were prior. Yeah, but, wow. Uh, but without that information, uh, we wouldn't have been able to apportion any of the any of the impairment. So, mm. so how many days? Because it sounds like you do do a lot of reading before. Mm. How many days, if you were being briefed by a lawyer, how many days do you really need to have all that information prior to the appointment, especially with a medico legal? Um, yes. scenario because you've got the appointment coming up on a particular yes. day and time so what would you say a good amount of time to have that have those materials and being able to read through it in detail plus have time to potentially go back to the lawyer if you need to mm. and it depends a lot on the case and the volume of mm. the volume of the material but um, ideally, I like to have things a week before, um, mm -hmm. just to allow time to go back um, and grab, you know, and, and explore and discover more information if it becomes obvious that there is something missing. Um, and you can pick that up pretty quickly, I think. Um, you get a fair sense of it, uh, you know, once you get into the into the reading. But um, I mean, some cases are quick and simple, and um, there's not much uh, required. But in these more complex cases, particularly uh, where there's uh, the you know possibility of previous injury apportionment, and and if there's pain and psychological um, uh, parts of the presentation as well, then that can take a lot more reading and a lot more teasing out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, this has been very insightful. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Downs Bryden. Uh, is there anything else that you would share with the listeners today if they were to brief you for a case? Is there anything that you've sort of experienced in the past that yeah, if you had them in front of you right now that you'd like to share? Uh, I think just um, great lines of communication are really important um, between lawyers and doctors and I think you know we've both got um, uh, different areas of expertise but what works really well is when we can sit down and, and uh, discuss things really clearly and openly and um, so, and I think that uh, uh, the more of that that we can do, the, the closer to a really good outcome and the best outcome possible uh, we'll get to, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, Jess. Lovely to talk to you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye.